0: Good morning and welcome to Alder Assembly of God. Welcome to the beginning of a brand new sermon series entitled Jonah. It, it's clever, right? Creative, right? The book of Jonah. Jonah is a, it's definitely one of those Bible stories that most people are aware of. Uh, Let's see, if you were a child, uh, really at about any era of children's ministry or Sunday school, chances are good you've heard the biblical account of Jonah being taught. In fact, chances are really good that you have seen flannel graph of Jonah. How many of you have taught with flannel graph? Scene, flanograph you know, the the fuzzy little uh, characters that stick on the fuzzy uh, board, if you would. And so we know that the general overview, for the most part, we're familiar. It's the prophet by the name of Jonah. And God called Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach against their sin and their wickedness. Jonah disobeyed. Instead, Jonah went the opposite direction, got on a boat. Uh, End result, and we're going to be covering some of this today, but he ends up in the sea, swallowed by a fish for three days and three nights fish spits him up on land Uh, uh, Jonah's praying to God he eventually goes to Nineveh Nineveh repents and uh, it's a it's a tremendous story of God and his love and his mercy and his grace it's it's one that we're familiar with but it's often one in which maybe when people hear about it they say really did that happen could that have happened it would be like this story Little girl was reading on an airplane one day with her parents, and, and uh, the individual beside her noticed her little Bible storybook entitled, Jonah and the Big Fish. So after greeting and saying hello, he asked the little girl to tell him about her book. She said that the book was all about Jonah and how he was swallowed by a big fish. The man said, you don't really believe that, do you? The little girl replied, Yes. I believe it's true. You really believe that a man could be swallowed by a fish, he said, and stay inside of him for three days and then come out of there alive? The little girl said, well, the story is in the Bible, and and we studied it in Sunday school last week. So yes, it is true. Well, then the man said, how can you prove that the story about Jonah is true? The little girl thought for a moment and and came up with a great answer as a, a little child. She said, well, when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah. The man smiled, thinking about his superiority as an adult and interacting with this little girl. And he said, well, what will you do if Jonah is not in heaven? The little girl thought for a moment and turned to him and said, well, if he's not in heaven, then you ask him out of the mouth of babes. Whatever the case might be, this is something found in the Word of God. So before we jump into chapter one today, let me let you know Jonah is a rather short story. As you take and dig into the Word of God, you'll see that it's only four chapters long. It's 48 verses in total. Uh, Depending on the version or translation you read it in, it's going to be somewhere around 1,300 or more words. And you can probably read it in about 10 to 15 minutes, depending on uh, your reading speed. It's a short story to read your way through. But it's not a short story. It's a short biblical account, but it's not a short story as in something that is fake, false, or fiction. It is a true story. In fact, in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, we see Jonah being mentioned, talking about God's servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who is from Gathhefer. Jonah the prophet mentioned in 2 Kings fourteen twenty five, but mentioned as well by Jesus. Jesus affirms Jonah, and Jesus, the Son of God, he's not referencing fiction, he's not referencing fairy tales. But in Matthew twelve forty one and a similar account in Luke eleven verse twenty nine and thirty, Jesus references. Jonah. He says, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, and he references about the Son of Man uh, being uh, dead as well and rising from the dead. So Jonah is mentioned in Second Kings, affirmed by Jesus. This is a true story, though it's short, though it's brief. It's rather interesting. Uh, Jonah is in the section of the Bible we Uh, we refer to as the minor prophets. Uh, Major prophets uh, are five books that are longer in length. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. And then there's 12 of what we'd call minor prophets, uh, maybe not as well-known in some cases, and certainly smaller books. And so there's Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. So uh, when you're about to find Jonah chapter 1, if you need to use the table of contents in your Bible, feel free. But find your way to Jonah chapter 1 and understand, as God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, Nineveh is a great city. A large city. uh, Most scholars would say today located in modern day Iraq historians believe the population was probably in the hundreds of thousands. There's some debate as to how large. There's a place of scripture in Jonah where it says that 120,000 did not know their right hand from their left. Some would simply say that means that they were lost and without God and so the city had 120,000. Others would view that as 120,000 not knowing the right from the left, uh, maybe not as understanding and aware of things, believing that that relates to children. So 120,000 children would then mean the city itself would be significantly more. Either way, it's a large city. It's the capital of Assyria, but it was a city of great wickedness and sinfulness. The book of Nahum describes a little bit of the level of sexual deviancy and brutality. Some of the things that they were involved in was pretty horrific. They would cut the heads off enemy soldiers and stack them up in piles, skin their captives, and hang the skin on the city walls. But understand this, as as we take a look at Jonah, and we take a look at some of the things that he is facing, we see that he's not unlike you and me. So, uh, first of all here, Jonah chapter 1, we'll entitle it, Running from God. That might describe you, that might describe you at some point in your life, it might describe somebody that you know who is running from God and jonah has some questions probably some similar questions you and i might have what do you do when you don't want to do what god wants you to do you've never been there right you feel this nudging you feel this prompting you feel like god's wanting you to go a certain direction and you don't wanna that's jonah running from god what do you do when you know what's right but that's not the path that you want to take you know what god's nudging you or leading you to do you understand the difference of right and wrong and and god's nudging you to right. Uh, but your flesh says i i want to do what feels good and i want to go do the wrong these are some of the issues jonah's wrestling with what do you do when god's plans and your wishes or dreams or desires don't always line up well God, I want you to allow me to do what I want to do. Unfortunately, as we see with Jonah many times, we run from God, and we're not necessarily wanting to do what God's called us to do. So today we're going to be looking at that thought, running from God. What does it mean when we run from God? So first of all, running from God means that we reject God's word. So Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. God is speaking. His word is clear. Arise. Get up. Get ready. And go to Nineveh and preach against it. Call out against it. It's a Wicked, sinful city. Now, Nineveh, from where Jonah was at, it's about 550 miles, probably east and north. Scholars would say it certainly would have taken him a while to get there. This isn't jump on board a plane, so uh, you're, you're taking a while to get that distance. City was built by Nimrod. A lot of scholars say second in size at that time, perhaps to Babylon. And God calls him to go and call out, preach against the sin and the wickedness that was there. To announce the doom. Announce that God's judgment was coming if they don't repent. Uh, the phrase here it says, their evil has come up before me. It's, it's an interesting phrase. It's it kind of pictured, uh, maybe think about a, a fire. And some of the flames rising or some of that smoke rising, it just, it kind of drifts and comes up. And, and the Lord's saying, their evil, their sin is, is rising up. It's, it's pretty potent, it's pretty powerful, it's recognizable. And I'm sending Jonah to declare God's word. Unfortunately, Jonah was going to decisively reject what God had to say. Now you, You've never done that, have you? God speaks to you and you reject what God has to say. We often do that. We don't want to do what God wants us to do. We don't want to hear what God wants us to hear. And unfortunately, we get in trouble when we reject what God has to say to us in his word. Now, That's the bad news. We get in trouble when we reject God's word. The good news is we've got a God who wants to speak to us. Did you catch that? The word of the Lord came to Jonah. God's word came to Jonah. God still wants to speak to you and to me today. Now, how does he do that? This doesn't specify how God's word spoke. The good news is he does speak. He did speak to Jonah, and he still speaks to you and to me today. There's a lot of different ways God can speak. God can speak audibly. Now, I have been alive on this earth over 48. Oh, what in the world? <laughs> Edit that part out. Normally, everybody's trying to be younger, and I gave myself an extra couple years. How in the world did I say 48? 46 years. I've been on this earth 46 years. In 46 years, maybe in 48, in 46 years, I have not heard an audible voice of God once. Maybe you have, and and there are some people who say, I've heard an audible, uh, out loud voice like you're hearing me speak today. I've not heard that in 46 years. But God has spoken very clearly in a number of other ways. God speaks as we pray and connect with him. There's there's kind of that inner witness, that nudging, if you would, that prompting in our heart of God speaking. Uh, God speaks through the Holy Spirit. God can speak through circumstances. God can speak through other individuals pouring into our lives. And most of the time, much of the time, God speaks through his word. You are reading the word of God, and people say, it's like it just jumped off the page. God was using that verse or that scripture or that principle, and he was using his word to get a hold of your heart that day. So there's a number of ways that God might choose to speak. The good news is he still speaks. We don't have to wonder or worry about what his word is. What does he desire? God speaks. And God was speaking to Jonah to say, go preach. They need to repent. This is a wicked and sinful city. What's interesting is, God called Jonah to Nineveh, which was not a part of Israel. Most of the prophets, almost every other prophet, God calls to speak to his people to turn to or return to God. And yet here, God is calling him to a place far outside of Israel. But God was concerned. God's not just concerned about the people inside the church. God's concerned about everybody. And so he's calling them to, he's calling Jonah to Nineveh. God was speaking very clearly. We need to get into God's word and allow him to speak to us. Hebrews says that the word of God is living and active. It's, it's powerful, more powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. Pierced even to the dividing asunder of sword and spirit and to discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. God's word will speak. But Jonah was rejecting what God had to say. Don't reject, don't turn away from the word of God. See, when we are running from God, we don't want anything to do with God. We don't want anything to do with his word. We don't want anything to do with with church or with reading, with praying. We say, I want to do my own thing the way I want to do it. Running for God, it means that we're rejecting his word rather than accepting it. So I want to encourage you, spend time with God. Dig into his words. Spend time in prayer. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide and to nudge you. Even if you don't hear audibly as you're hearing me speak today, God still speaks. Don't reject what he has to say. Hebrews chapter 3 says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Be ready to hear and receive what God has to say, not reject it. Jonah was running from God like many of us have or many of you might be today. He was rejecting God's word. But secondly, running from God means that we disobey God's instructions. Back to Jonah chapter 1, it said that Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went on board to go with them to Tarshish. God very clearly instructed him what to do. Arise, go to Nineveh, preach and declare my word. But he disobeyed. Now, does that sound like anybody you know? If not, look in the mirror we do that a lot we many times disobey what god speaks to us and god's instructions are and with jonah it wasn't just a mild disobedience he actually went the exact opposite direction now go ahead to the next slide this, this might be a little difficult to see uh from where you're sitting but uh, this map is kind of long and narrow And so over towards uh, the the right middle side, right above the boat there, is a, a dot that says A. Nineveh is to the right where it says B, and Tarshish is on the left there where it says C. Now, if you're having trouble seeing that, let me describe it to you in 2020 detail, okay? You and I are right here at Alger Assembly of God, and if you're watching online and you're in another state, you're like, where's Alger? Look it up we're in Ohio okay so imagine this God is saying okay you're in Alger Ohio and I am calling you I'm instructing you to go east to New York City and preach and declare my word because there are many people there who don't know Jesus and need to hear about him New York City from here probably five or 600 miles uh, Driving would probably be 10 hours or so, flying maybe an hour, hour and a half. So that would be due east. That's about the distance from where he was to Nineveh. But instead of going due east to Nineveh, it says he found a ship that was going to Tarshish, which is the opposite direction, west. It would be instead of going to New York City, we say, no, I'm going to go find an airplane that's going to take me to California. I'll go to Los Angeles. I'll go to San Francisco. 2,000-plus miles west. That's about the distance of where he was going to Tarshish, probably around 2,000 miles. You could hardly get any farther apart than what Jonah was seeking to do. He was rejecting God's word and then disobeying his instructions. God said, go east to Nineveh. He said, no, I'm going to go west to Tarshish. Why? Why disobey? I'm sure there's a, a number of answers. I, I mentioned about the city of Nineveh, how wicked and evil and sinful they were, perhaps because of their reputation and that what the people were like. Maybe he thought they were unworthy of God's love and and didn't want to share it. Or maybe he didn't want God to love the people that he hated or that he was against. Or he was just simply more concerned about himself than them. Whatever the reason, hear this, there's never a reason, never a good reason to disobey God's instructions. We've got to hear his word and then obey Many times when we disobey God, we do exactly what Jonah did, and we flee and we run and we disobey and we go in the opposite direction as far as possible. So God's word is kind of co- uh, coming and, and nudging and, and we're feeling maybe prompted or we're feeling uh, convicted. And so we go the opposite direction. I'm going to stop hanging around those people who represent God because I'm convicted. I'm going to disobey. I- I'm going to stay away from church. I'm going I'm to forget about getting into God's word or forget about spending time in prayer. I'm going to do everything I can not to obey God. Or maybe we We're selective in what we read. We'll we'll read some things in here about God being a God of love, but let's skip over the part where God talks about repentance and asking forgiveness for our sins or how he encourages and guides us and instructs us to live a holy life even in the midst of an ungodly world. Know this. When God speaks, it's pretty easy to find a boat or a car or a plane or anything you want that's heading in the exact opposite direction from where God's calling you to. In this world, it's pretty easy to be sidetracked and go the opposite direction to disobey what God says. When God speaks, you and I have got a choice to make. Obey God or disobey His instructions. God's speaking clearly. He's speaking in his word. He's speaking in prayer. He's speaking through the the Holy Spirit. God's word is clear to understand, but it's oftentimes very difficult to obey. We know what God says. It's the doing it part. Yeah, that's a little harder. We know that it says to love our neighbor but we're not sure about that because we're not sure how they voted in the election. So I reserve the right to love our neighbors. We put separate little things in. Well, I'll only do this if I feel like it. God's word's pretty clear, but it's not always the easiest to live out. God's word was clear to Jonah, and yet he disobeyed. Why would he wait? Why would he disobey? Many times it's because he wanted to wait. Now, you and I would never do that. God instructs us to obey, and we say, okay, God, I'll do it later. Now, you've never heard that from a child, never heard that from a grandchild, never heard that from anybody in a classroom, never heard that from anybody in the workplace. There's often times where people say, yes, I'll do it, I'll get to it later delayed obedience it's it's disobedience God saying here's what I want you to do yeah yeah I got you God later later when we keep saying later we are not obeying now I I came across this uh, concept of maturity in the life of a believer I, I liked the the framing of it it was called lag time maturity Lag time is the mark of maturity in a believer. In other words, you can tell the maturity of a person by measuring the distance between the command of God and the obedience to God. Now, you can't really measure this with a yardstick or a tape measure. You can maybe measure it with a stopwatch, right? When God speaks, God speaks to us in his word or in prayer or in a message or in a classroom setting in a discipleship gathering, and we are nudged to do something to grow in God, the length of time it takes us to obey is going to show what kind of maturity we have. When we hear God's word and we put it into practice and obey it very quickly, it's showing we are growing and maturing in Christ. When we hear God's word, and we reject it, we ignore it, we overlook it, we hold off on it, we postpone it, we do not obey it, we might think we are quite the stuff when it comes to being a Christian, but when there's a lot of time between the command of God and the obedience to God, there's not a lot of maturity there. I like that thought. So Jonah is running from God might be similar to what some of you have experienced in, in your life or what you're facing right now. And running from God means that he was rejecting God's word. He was disobeying God's instructions. Thirdly, when we run from God, it means that we flee God's presence. Stay right there in chapter 1 and, and let's reread verse 3 again. It says, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. God was speaking, remember? God spoke, God's word came, but he wanted to get out of the presence of God. He was fleeing from God's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from The presence of the Lord. Twice in one verse, he's leaving, fleeing, or going away from the presence of God. Jonah thought he could really get away from God in his presence? Jonah is the creation, and he's wanting to escape the creator. Interesting. But you and I do the same thing. He knew better. But Jonah's not the only one who tried to flee or escape God. Do you remember way back in the beginning in the book of Genesis? Adam and Eve disobeyed. They rebelled, and they tried to escape. They were trying to hide from or flee from God's presence. Remember, it's kind of curious or humorous if you're reading it. God's, you know, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they were hiding we were ashamed, so we hid. Okay, um, real quick, Adam and Eve, I created you. I created the very garden and earth that you're in, yet you're trying to hide from me. It's funny when you think about it that way, but many times we'll, we'll do the same thing. We'll, we'll try to hide from God or flee from or try to escape the very presence of God of God. Now, depending on the the version you might be reading this in today using the ESV, King James and others uses an interesting word, down. It kind of gives us a a unique picture. It talks about going down to Joppa, down to the ship, down to the sea, down to the belly, down to the deep. Down, down, down. When we try to flee from the presence of God, we never go up. (laughs) We're always going down. It's a downward spiral. Oh, but I can handle it. I can make it. I'm okay in my life without God. But without God, and when we try to flee from God, inevitably our life will spiral downward. Many will try to do exactly what Jonah did, reject God's word, disobey his instructions, and flee God's presence. Forget about church. Forget about God's word. Forget about prayer time. Forget about uh, hanging out with other people who encourage you in Christ. Skip the godly presence of friends, family members. Start hanging out with those who reject and are against God. And maybe you think you've left God in the dust. Maybe you think you've pulled a fast one on God. You've, You've moved with no forwarding address and there's no way God can figure you out. Do you really think that's the case? That you can escape from the presence of the creator, that he will have no way to identify where you might be and how he might be able to continue to reach or nudge or prompt. We can't outrun the God of the universe who has created us. Jonah tried His running from God was unsuccessful. He tried to reject God's word. He disobeyed God's instructions. He fled from God's presence. Fourth and finally today, when we run from God, what do we do? We often overlook God's consequences. So we we spent quite a bit of time here uh, kind of setting up The book of Jonah and and looking at these first three verses. So, on the balance of our time, we're going to kind of briefly and quickly make our way from verse four through the end of the chapter. We'll stop and pause here and there for some thoughts. But I want you to see as we read through the rest of chapter one biblical account, after he had heard from God and rejected it, after he had then disobeyed God's instructions, and after then. He tried to escape from and flee from God's presence, I want you to notice some of the consequences and some of the things that took place based on what he was trying to do. We think we can escape consequences, but God's word says that the wages of our sin is death. There are consequences to our actions, and and we'll see that here with Jonah. So Jonah chapter 1 verse 4 says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea some consequences of wind, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. The mariners or sailors were afraid, and each one cried out to his own God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. This ship was facing an incredible storm, wind and waves and the, the sea. The sailors were so scared, they're calling out to their fake and false gods. They're tossing everything overboard and trying to lighten the load. And sometimes that's what people do today. When, when faced with a difficult situation, uh, let's just give a handful of things up. Uh, we'll, we'll not completely surrender to God, but we'll toss a few things overboard. It's, it's uh, some token things. Okay, God, what if I stop lying a little bit? What if I stop cheating a little bit? What if I stop stealing or cussing or drinking or smoking or drugging or whatever the case might be? Uh, let me give up a handful of things. Is that good enough, God? God. He's wanting our surrender. He's wanting our repentance. And and they're simply trying to lighten the load to get by. Check this out. Jonah had gone, here it is again, down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was (laughs) fast asleep. Can you imagine that? A little different than, than Jesus in the boat, fast asleep in the New Testament. Here's a man who... He'd heard the word of God, but rejected it, disobeyed God, fled from his presence. He's on the boat in the midst of this incredible storm, and he's oblivious. He is asleep down at the bottom of the boat. Verse 6, the captain came and said, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps he will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said, this is the crew to one another. Let us cast lots that we may know on whose account the evil has come. So they cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. So now these next number of verses, they're questioning him. He's responding, and it's all in the, in the they wake him up in the midst of this incredible storm. They're trying to figure things out, but we're seeing consequence after consequence after consequence. Verse 8, they said Tell us on whose account this evil has come. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? Nothing like being woken up out of a deep sleep in an incredible storm and you're getting grilled and questioned by the people on the boat. Verse 9, he said, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, pause there. Do you find that curious that Jonah would say that? I'm I'm a Hebrew, I'm, I'm an Israelite, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. I fear him so much, I rejected his word. I fear him so much, I disobeyed his instructions. I fear him so much, I fled from his presence. But oh, by the way, here I am, a Hebrew who fears the Lord. Verse 10, the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said, what is this that you have done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So he'd rejected God's word. He was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, and he told them all that. But he's still trying to say, I fear the Lord, maker of heaven and earth, of the sea and of the land. They knew what was going on. Listen, many times when we try to escape God and flee from God and run from God... We think it's no big deal. We think nobody notices. But it's oftentimes very obvious. We think we're running from and we're getting away from God and nobody will know. But many times it's very obvious. There's, There's this conflict going on in our hearts and in our lives and we're wrestling with what God wants to do. Verse 11, then they said, what shall we do? that the sea may quiet down, for it grew more and more tempestuous. Verse 12, he said, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. It will quiet down for you, for it is because of me this tempest has come. Verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Doesn't this just seem like mankind? Jonah's rejecting God's word. Jonah's disobeying God. Jonah's fleeing from God. And when he finally starts to own up to it, and he says, here's what you've got to do to make it right. Throw me overboard. Do they obey? What do they do? They try harder. They try to row harder. As if by their own strength and might and effort, they can make it work. Does that sound familiar at all? Many times you and I, we, we feel by our own effort, we can make things right. Well, if I just try harder, I can be a better person. Listen, try all you want. We need to repent. We need to ask forgiveness. We need to be right with God. To surrender all of our lives for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Verse 14. Therefore they called out to the Lord, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Don't lay on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done it as it pleased you. Finally, verse 15. They picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. The men feared the Lord exceedingly, offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and made vows. Verse 17, familiar portion of the story. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's just dwell for a moment on that word appointed. This was not happenstance. This was not circumstance. This was not, oh, would you imagine, can you believe that? This was God appointed this specific fish to to take place and do this. It reminds us that nothing that we face is a surprise to God. God is still sovereign over anything. No matter what happens in the election, God is sovereign over anything. No matter what happens in your workplace, God is sovereign over anything. God appointed this fish God knew what was taking place, and God was going to step in his will to be done for Jonah and his life. But understand, there was a whole host of consequences. Jonah probably thought his life would only affect him. His choices would only affect him. And you and I think the same way. But understand, our choices, our decisions, our actions affect those around us. Did you see all of the circumstances, all of the consequences that everybody on board this ship experienced because of Jonah, his rejection of God, and his disobedience to God? It affected everybody. All the cargo was thrown overboard. We don't know exactly what was in that cargo, but it's gone. It's tossed overboard. The ship was about to be destroyed. Literally, everybody on board could have and might have lost their life because of him and consequences of his disobedience. We think when we sin, we only affect ourselves. It's my life. I'll do what I want to do. It doesn't affect you anyway. In many things, it does affect others. It affects our spouse, it affects our children, it affects our family, it affects those in the church, it affects those in the workplace, it affects those in the community. Decisions that we make for and against God do affect others. We think it's, yeah, it's just between me and God. Well, our sin between us and God, we come to Him and ask forgiveness, but the consequences of those sins do affect many people. I think of it this way. We, we have an individual, and, and maybe uh, you've seen different stories, individuals who have been criminals of one kind or another, and, and they're, they're caught and maybe put in prison, and somehow they, 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 they find God in prison. They, they hear the word of God through a ministry, and so they surrender their heart, they surrender their life to him, and we say, praise God. But that doesn't change the fact that there are consequences for actions that individual made. Giving and surrendering a heart and a life to God means I'm set free of sin and I've received salvation. But it doesn't mean that whatever uh, consequence of time being in prison is, is wiped away. There are still consequences for those actions. Same thing in relationships. We think, okay... You know, we say something and we hurt some other person. Now, we can come and we can ask for forgiveness. But there still might be some consequences as a result of what's been said. Many times we think our sins, our actions, it only affects us. As we see with Jonah, it does affect so many others. When we disobey, when we run from God, it often does affect other people. So what did Jonah do when he ran from God? He rejected God's word. He disobeyed God's instructions. He was fleeing from God's presence, and he overlooked God's consequences. How should we respond? If you take and just flip those things around, It's the opposite of what Jonah did. Is how we should respond. Instead, we should accept God's word. Be ready to dig in, receive, and accept what God has to say. We need to obey God's instructions. James says to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. We're real good at hearing and and accepting, taking in what God has to say. We must obey and do it. Thirdly, seek his presence rather than trying to flee from it. Do everything we can to spend time with God. Spend time in his word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time growing and connecting with others in Christ. And then understand God's consequences. Understand that that how we live and how we respond, there are consequences sometimes outside of just us. Our decisions many times affect others.